0: Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. We are doing our FOMO Friday report today instead of last Friday, since we had election news that we just had to cover, and we took the chance that people would experience the fear of missing out. But to our relief, we receive no reports of this. So <laughs> all is good. And today we have a real mixed bag of stories from the Daily Wire that, that cover the, the gambit from disturbing to hilarious. And we'll start with the former. I I talk to many pro-choice individuals that can't tell me the answer to the question: when does life begin? This is a key point in the abortion debate because if life begins before the baby leaves the mother's body, well, then it would be murder to kill it there, right? Well, many just say, well, since I can't say when life begins, then I just have to stick to, you know, the birth as as when life begins. Well, this first story blows that thinking out of the water. It demonstrates that pro-choicers don't care about when life begins. They are in favor of killing babies. When when things are are not, you know, even convenient to them, then okay, I just want the right to kill it. It it's it's like the meme I saw the other day that that showed a, a woman voting in a, in a polling place. That was that was the picture of the meme. Well, the the caption read I now have to add this to my birth control routine, to which, of course, I, I wrote, it's sad that so many women see killing babies as birth control. The point is that, alive or not, most pro-choicers just want the ability to kill babies. You don't believe me? Here's our first story. Montana voters opposed a midterm ballot measure imposing criminal charges on medical professionals failing to take all medically appropriate and reasonable actions to preserve the life of infants born alive, including those who who survive after attempted abortions. L.R. 131, a legislative referendum known as the Montana Born Alive Infant Protection Act, asked Montanians to decide whether infants born alive, including infants born alive after an abortion, are a legal person. The, the measure would have also found healthcare providers guilty of failing to take medically appropriate and reasonable actions to preserve a born-alive infant's life with punishment of a fine up to $50,000 or imprisonment up to 20 years, or or even both. Quote, a born-alive infant means an infant whose breath uh, breaths uh, has a beating heart uh, or has definite movement of voluntary muscles after the complete expulsion or extraction from the mother. That's that's the way the referendum reads. Now, Republican lawmakers and, and supporters of the measure said that it would have protected babies that survived botched abortions, which studies suggest the failure rate of a medical abortion process is less than 1%. Matthew Rieger, uh, who's a, a Republican there, Uh, who sponsored a bill last year that would put controversial measure on the ballot, told the House Judiciary Committee in January of last year that it would define who Montanians are as a state. Quote, this goes right down to, are we going to stand for life or are we going to throw it away, Rieger said. And evidently that's the way they voted was to throw it away. That is really unfortunate that you would have this on the ballot, that you would literally be able to vote for this, that you would be able to vote for whether or not to give reasonable medical care to a baby that was born, no matter if they it, it wanted, the mother wanted it to be aborted or not, it was born and it's alive. and 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 you're going to vote that you don't have to give that. It's not a person. You don't have to give it medical care I mean, Lauren Wilson of the uh, Montana chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics told Montana Public Radio in a statement that the um, initiative would have criminalized doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers for providing compassionate care for infants. And in doing so, overridden the decision making of Montana parents. Do you see all the lies and excuses that they have to use to sell killing babies? It's just absolutely horrific. And this goes right along with former Virginia Governor Ralph uh, Northams, his comment when he said, quote, and when it's born, we will make the baby comfortable until the mother decides if she wants it to live or die, unquote. Sticking with the election theme, but on a slightly lighter side, though, (laughs) um, Democratic candidate Stacey Abrams compared her loss in the Georgia gubernatorial election to the Apostle Paul's suffering amid his missionary work as she um, conceded to Republican rival and incumbent Governor Brian Kemp. After narrowly defeating Abrams four years ago, Kemp was reelected by a nearly eight-point margin significantly outperforming his rival, even as other uh, swing state Republicans across the country experienced lackluster results. In her concession speech, Abram cited the words of the Apostle Paul in a describing, describing persecution that he faced while spreading the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the ancient Roman world. Quote, listen to this, I am too reminded of what scripture tells us, Abram Smith remarked. 2 Corinthians 4 8 says this We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I know the results are not what we hoped for tonight, and I understand that you are hurting and you are disappointed. I am too. But we may not have have made it to the finish line, but we ran that race." Unquote. <laughs> Later in a letter, Paul Paul further details the extent of his suffering, like five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times it was beaten with, uh, he, he you know, he he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, he said. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. That's Second Corinthians 11, 24, and 25. Unlike the would-be Democratic governor, however, Paul was not recounting his persecution in a prideful manner. I mean, we know that from Second Corinthians 11, 30 where he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, after she lost in 2018 gubernatorial election, Abrams made a na- made national headlines for claiming that the election was stolen from her due to a purported voter suppression and never offered a formal concession to Kemp. Though she has since denied that she'd Denied the election. The former minority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives announced as late as 2019, quote, Despite the final tally in the inauguration uh, and the inauguration, I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. (laughs) So so not only is she an election denier, uh, she's an election denier Denier, <laughs> but but Abrams spent much of her second gubernatorial campaign soliciting votes in predominantly African American churches, where ministers highlighted her candidacy and and policy agenda from the pulpits. Hmm. The attention from pro- professing faith leaders came despite Abrams claiming that uh, that lo- loser. Uh, looser restrictions upon abortion would help families deal with rising prices. Can you imagine that? She claimed during one interview that quote, "You cannot divorce being forced to t- to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the em- economic realities of having a child." Wow. Now we here at the at Uncommon Sense podcast we have talked uh, about how part of the the big push, of transgenderism among uh, our, our youth by groups like Planned Parenthood and, and, and others are because of money. There are those that have said that this is false because transgender, you know, uh, uh, gender affirming uh, surgeries are just not that common. Well, listen to this story a, a new study of nationwide hospital databases found at least. 1130 adolescents adolescents between uh, 2016 2019 so 3 years there received gender affirming chest surgeries in the US wow the study published by JAMA pediatrics saw a 389% increase in adolescents that now these were ages 12 to 17 Obtaining chest surgeries from 2016 to 2019, an overwhelming majority, that was 1114, of the adolescents seeking this surgery were female. That's almost 99% of those, but 16 were male to, quote, to our knowledge, this study is the largest investigation to date of gender-affirming chest reconstruction in the pediatric population. This is the paper's authors and what they wrote, Um, and they they are actually affiliated with Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Quote, the results demonstrate substantial increases in gender-affirming chest reconstruction for adolescents, they said, but Lior uh, Sapir, a a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, believes the study significantly underestimates the number of adolescents who have received gender-related chest surgeries, as it only contains hospital-based data and not private surgery centers. The data was collected from the Nationwide uh, Ambulatory Surgery uh, uh, Sample, the NASS, an outpatient hospital surgery database in the United States. JAMA include, included only procedures performed in hospitals, not by surge, plastic surgeons in private settings, is what he says. because these procedures yield around $10,000 per patient. Many mastectomies take place outside the hospitals in surgery centers owned by plastic surgeons themselves, unquote this this is really disturbing and 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 it really goes into a lot of data this this whole new study of uh, of of uh kids as as young as 12 having these type of surgeries this is very disturbing the the the, the median total charges for a chest rec- reconstruction is almost $30,000 and and it can be as high as $45,000 and that that's a number that that you know that was adjusted for inflation. You know, according to the author, but still, that is just absolutely disturbing. Uh, most adolescents uh, included in the analysis lived in in populated areas versus you know country country or rural areas, and that's not really a big surprise either. But this this is this is very clearly sanctioned child abuse for monetary reasons primarily, and it's and it's sad. And it has to stop. We have to stop abusing these children in this way. And in the numbers that we're seeing now, uh, it's just eye opening. If, if there is one thing that we have learned over the, the last few years, it's that, that everything is systemic racism, right? <laughs> I mean, every, it, you could, you could, you could pull, you know, uh, uh, a chocolate bar out of your pocket, and it's going to be racist somehow, right? Uh, you, you could you you could uh, proclaim your f- favorite uh, milkshake or something, and 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 somehow that's going to be uh, as a result of something you know, systemically racist. Well, we found something else. <laughs> I didn't see this one coming, but maybe you did. the The lottery ticket for the biggest Powerball jackpot ever was recently sold in California. And in response, CNN published a report on the lottery uh, critics, and one of which argued that the lottery system in in general is an example of systemic racism. Yes, you re, you got it, systemic racism. The winner whose race is currently unknown—we don't know who 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 uh, who won this this last one—and um, and had had a. Uh, had won in, in nine, uh 292.2 million chance of matching all six numbers. That person's luck led them to winning an unprecedented $2.04 billion prize. With the jackpot finally won, lottery experts are reflecting on how they believe the game is unfair for certain people. CNN reported that, according to researchers, lotteries typically target low-income communities, especially those populated by, quote, black and brown people, dangling the promise of instant wealth from a game that residents are statistically unlikely to win. The lottery's critics argue that that lower-income minorities who play the lottery are more likely to be driven into debt, CNN reported. Really, I didn't realize this is what lotteries did. Les bernard uh, he's a uh, a national director of Stop Predatory Gambling. Uh, it's a it's a group uh, accused the lottery of being a form of consumer financial fraud and evidence of systemic racism. Of course, it is. Right, <laughs> everything is. Quote, they're they're hoping to pay their rent at the end of the month, or pay an outstanding medical bill, or put their kids through college, or they just lost their job and they're just trying to find a way to make ends meet, he said. And here you have this what is a government program encouraging citizens to lose their money on rigged games. <laughs> Stores that sell lottery tickets are more likely to be located in poor areas, and the the profits gained by the states from the lottery are rarely used to benefit those poorer areas, according to a study from Harvard Center for Investigative Journalism, which of course was cited by CNN. Uh, "Quote: Commercialized gambling, like state lotteries, like the Powerball drawing, well." They represent a financial exchange that is mathematically stacked against you, he continued. Wow, this is this is enlightening, right? We, I didn't realize that the odds were stacked against me if I played the lottery. The report also cited a 1999 report that found that black and low-income people are more likely to play the lottery. Players are also more likely to be high school dropouts. Quotes, poor people are... Uh, our collateral damage to a cause of raising money for what the legislators feel is a good purpose, public safety, local schools. Former Massachusetts Inspector General Gregory Sullivan said in an article, quote, state governments become dependent on the revenue and any moral considerations get pushed out of view and out of mind. Now, I'll say to this that i'm not a big fan of the lottery okay uh it's not something i voted for originally um when it came first came out uh i didn't i didn't think that it was a a good idea i don't play the lottery you know there's always that thing that says you know you can't win if you don't play um well you know i can't win i guess i mean i I think i think i played it one time when i was given a ticket you know i've never bought one uh that it it's just not something that i do um so it sounds to me like in this case, even though I've never played it, it sounds like this thing is this lottery thing is is not a good thing to have. Right. It sounds to me like we need to do away with the lottery. I mean, if it's part of uh, if it's a form of uh, systemic racism, then there is no redeeming it and it needs to go. So, I, I think we definitely need to make sure that we get rid of all lotteries if it's if it's that bad, right? wouldn't wouldn't you figure the same thing? And speaking of how wokeness is infiltrating our society, here is how wokeness is attacking wokeness. <laughs> the Biden administration unveiled a public-private partnership to help advance female leadership in searching for, climate change solutions during the COP27 climate conference in Egypt. Among other programs, President Joe Biden announced during the conference was the climate gender equality or I'm sorry, equity fund. They wouldn't use equality, right? It has to be equity. So it's the climate gender equity fund, which will leverage private sector contributions to help private uh, provide women climate leaders with technical skills, networks, and capital to develop and scale climate solutions, unquote is that's how they put it. It's a mouthful, but according to a statement from the White House, the program was seeded by three million dollars from USAID, and 3 million more from Amazon. Quote, as an import, important step in solving climate change, we must address the gender inequities. Oh, wait a minute. In order to uh, take the steps to solve climate change, we must address gender inequities. What do the two have that are similar? Anyway, let's, let's continue. Um, gender inequities that persist in climate finance <laughs> there is a climate finance now and ensuring female entre- entrepreneurs have an equal seat at the table and access and access to the funds the funding the networks and the technical support they need to scale climate solutions this is th- this statement was given by Amazon worldwide sustainability vice president kara hurst um well it seems like she's doing pretty well and she's a female right We're proud to collaborate with USAID and the Biden administration to help scale women-led climate solutions globally. The e-commerce company argued that female entrepreneurs are more likely than their male counterparts to address social needs, lamenting that only a fraction of global venture capital is devoted towards female-funded companies. Amazon will commit an additional $50 million toward climate technology companies led by women. The White House also launched the Indigenous Peoples Finance Access Facility. (laughs) It's a $2 million program that that will enable uh, continued climate stewardship by Indigenous peoples and local communities providing their access to climate finance. The Biden attended uh Biden attended the conference to galvanize what he, he he said global action and commitments with uh with respect to the to climate change. Among other programs, the administration will also devote a hundred and fifty million dollars toward the president's emergency plan uh for adaptation of resilience in Africa and launch a new initiative to promote wind and solar development in Egypt. So I guess they're gonna put a windmill on, on top of the Sphinx, I'm not sure. The, the, the commander-in-chief similarly announced efforts to limit methane emissions from natural gas production among American energy companies, thereby rendering America the first national government requiring that suppliers abide by the Paris Agreement. Ah, so you see, no one else is abiding by the Paris Agreement only us the Biden administration recently enacted the inflation Reduction act which contains uh 369 billion dollars for climate initiative including tax credits for new electric vehicles the bipartisan infrastructure law which is something different uh which passed at the end of last year also included provisions for electric vehicles and other renewable energy projects so obviously all of their friends are getting a bunch of money um and and you know, this conference that was held in Egypt, the COP27 or whatever, put on by United Nations, um, you know, they're trying to get us off being addicted to fossil fuels, as they say, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, it's it, it's one of these things where America's bad, everybody else is good, it doesn't matter that everybody else is not ceasing to to use coal production to, to you know, uh, boost their energy grid. Uh, China recently switched to burning coal um, as as droughts uh, disrupted hydropower generation uh, capacity, um, while Germany, the the largest economy in Europe, has likewise uh, reverted to consuming the fuel as natural gas supplies remain tight. Uh, China, Saudi Arabia, both of those two have partnered to strengthen um, cooperation to ensure stable long term crude oil supplies. And a a development that that occurs, of course, when relations between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia are are really growing cold now, thanks to Biden. So if you believe that we are on the brink of destroying the earth with greenhouse gases, then why would you restrict the funds for climate solutions? Why would you only give funding to women-owned companies? Isn't, Isn't this a climate crisis? Shouldn't we be giving money to companies that come up with with a a, a, a a true solution, no matter what the gender? Just in, we are seeing a big increase in biological males that own businesses in the climate change industry that are now identifying as females. <laughs> Maybe not not really, but but how would you like to be a, a woke male? that has gone along with with this lie how how you know now now being you you are having pressure put on you um to 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 just go along with this stuff and now you're going to be cut out of it altogether i mean you're being put out to pasture as a male when when will the the grants for for only being trans indigenous females that are left-handed Given out, I mean, this is getting ridiculous at this point, right? And speaking of ridiculous, (laughs) and speaking of doing nothing but virtue signaling for the environment, um, yeah, you know, I it's I like I like a good comedy, but that's the key word there. I like a good comedy, there's very few comedies that I find really funny but one of them that i really did uh, was the office. Uh, my wife and i enjoy the office. we we still watch reruns of that. um it it just there's something about it that just is funny. and uh, one of our favorite actors in it is rain wilson and actor rain wilson is hoping to spread climate change awareness though. By changing his name on social media, <laughs> yeah, you heard me. The 56-year-old actor, uh, best known for playing Dwight Schrute on the hit NBC comedy, The Office, Wilson posted a video to Twitter this week calling his name change, quote, a cheap little stunt to help save planet Earth. Oh, oh, so we're helping save planet Earth now by changing our name. His new display name is rainfall heat wave extreme winter wilson <laughs> yeah let me say that again rainfall heat wave extreme winter wilson <laughs> though his instagram handle did not change quote i've changed my name on twitter instagram and even uh on my fancy writing paper the actor said uh, to his fans uh he, he had a the the video caption said the art the arctic is melting at millions of liters per second yet this problem can't seem to make a name for itself, so we'll make it'll we'll make a name for it. I changed my name to help tell the world, leaders and influencers that we need to act now, he continued. Wilson's name didn't actually change on Twitter, though, which he blamed on the social media's uh, platform's new owner, PS. They won't let me change my name because Elon. He shared in another t- tweet. The, the comedian made a few other suggestions for celebrities to change their names. Oh, this ought to be good. Um, and, and they they can be a part of the cause, right? Some of Wilson suggested included uh, Car- uh, Cardi, the Arctic bee melting. Uh, Amy uh, foam. Uh, let's see. Uh, Amy polar bears are endangered. Uh, Harrison, why not drive an electric Ford? <laughs> uh, Le- Leonardo the Polar Ice Caprio are melting. <laughs> we'll see if they if if they change their names to that. Uh, Wilson is on board. Uh, is, is, he's a board member of Arctic uh, Base Camp, which says that they're an organization with a goal of raising awareness about the risks of Arctic weather changes uh, <laughs> besides, uh, suggesting new names for celebrities, Wilson also su- suggested his, uh, followers to change their names as well. Um, go to the link in the bio and create a name and, you know, and, and bring action to this problem. Can you imagine thinking that this is actually going to do anything? Um, <laughs> you know, he says, make, make, uh, make Arctic name changer, a game changer. All right. Okay. Let's try it. Uh, I am now going to help save the earth. I am now known as any climate change isn't caused by man morgan <laughs> or how about you wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff in if you just listen to uncommon sense podcast at uncommon sensepodcast.com i kind of like that and thank you for listening this podcast is a production of morganite communications